Hey folks, and welcome back to the show. Over the past few months, we've been spotlighting candidates who not only have formal expertise in health and healthcare, but who bring passion for progressive policy change to their offices, whether as incumbents or challengers. On this week's episode, the latest installment of our 2020 candidate series, we talk with Representative Allison Russo, who represents House District 24, a sprawling district that covers a big slice of areas west of Columbus, including Upper Arlington. As you'll hear in the episode, we talk about some topics that will be familiar to listeners, mental health and addiction, access to healthcare services, disparity, and the cost of healthcare, things like that. All of these issues are, of course, critical in our state and in need of real policy attention. Yet, given the largely, though certainly not completely, affluent demographics of House District 24, in this episode, we also specifically talk about the obligations of leaders in districts that are comparatively well off. This raises an issue. What can and will people of means and relative privilege do to make our state better and more just? This is Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. As always, before turning to my conversation with Representative Russo, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. And while you're checking out the new website, consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio Patreon for just $3 a month. Thanks so much to our new Patreons whose support is helping to defray the cost of things like SoundCloud, but also to allow us to begin to think about new features, especially the live Election 2020 event we're going to be holding on Facebook Live on October 22nd. We'd really appreciate a few more listeners joining this group of supporters so we can continue to grow the show in these kinds of ways. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Patreon for the show. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Representative Allison Russo has spent two decades advising leaders and policymakers on issues related to the healthcare financing and delivery needs of seniors, vulnerable populations, veterans, and military families. Representative Russo considers herself a lifelong advocate for women and families, championing issues like strong public education, affordable and accessible healthcare, and economic strategies that sustain 21st century working families. The representative created the Girls Who Lead After School Program and serves on the Women's Leadership Council of the United Way of Central Ohio, an organization that we've featured on this show. She's also involved in a number of organizations and efforts in Upper Arlington. Professionally as well, Representative Russo is Policy Research Director for a healthcare policy consulting firm, where she leads the business development efforts and strategy for this federally qualified small business. She earned her Doctor of Public Health and Health Policy from the George Washington University and a Master of Public Health and Epidemiology from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Representative Allison Russo, thanks so much for being on Prognosis Ohio. Well, thank you, Dan, for having me. Uh, you know, it's been a long time coming that I've wanted to talk with you. We've had uh, several of your colleagues on uh, at the State House and the State Legislature with, you know, formal training in public health. Uh, you have formal training at the doctorate and the master's level, epidemiology, public health, policy. So, you know, it's just kind of amazing to me uh, how we are building this critical mass in this state at this time of folks who not only, you know, uh, get on committees and learn as many legislators do, but come into this position with formal training. So I, I wanted to just start by, you know, Telling us a little bit about your background in healthcare, your formal training, and kind of how that story led to you wanting to take the step of becoming a legislator, now running for re-election. Uh, sure. Well, I, I agree with you. It's an exciting 
time to serve with colleagues who have similar training, especially at this particular moment in history for both our country and our state. Um, but as you mentioned, my formal training originally was in epidemiology. Uh, I got a Master of Public Health and only really practiced epidemiology for a couple of years and then began transitioning into more policy work, uh, specifically working on patient safety issues and patient safety, working um, on payment policy that incentivized quality. Um, my career really kind of took off in doing some work with the Department of Defense and with the military healthcare system. My husband is former active duty, so it worked out very nicely that we could make both of our careers work mm -hmm. at the time. And, um, you know, got to work on a, a number of really important issues and topics, uh, went on to work with the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Uh, working on some large projects there, and uh, in the last 10 years or so, uh, really taking on a multitude of clients, um, still with the Department of Defense, but also some other health and human services agencies, specifically with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, working on some of their payment reform efforts, um, and also working on some large patient safety projects. Um, so it's been an interesting evolution in careers, or in my career. Um, but when you ask about why I transitioned into um, being sort of behind the scenes and looking at the implementation of policy, both good and bad, and, and evaluating that to actually being a policymaker, I think it's a story that's similar probably to some, what you've heard from some of my other colleagues, is the recognition that many of the issues that we um, try to tackle in public health specifically and in the healthcare sector, uh, you realize, and, and we're taught this and we're trained in this, um, but are impacted so directly by other circumstances and policies that have nothing to do with healthcare. So things like, you know, do you have equitable access to education? Do you have access to good, healthy housing? Do you have access to food security? Do you have access to livable wages? And understanding the importance of good policymaking in those areas and the direct impact that they can have on good health outcomes is important. And I think what motivated me uh, to run for office originally in 2018 was a frustration in our current uh, lawmakers not um, understanding that and uh, not thinking about healthcare in those broader terms and thinking about the policy impacts of, of those other issues that directly impact healthcare. You know, it's funny, uh, I think to many people, when you, when you think about something like healthcare policy, um, you, there's been this call. I teach at a medical school, obviously, and you know, you hear from physicians. Hey, physicians need a larger uh, voice in medicine. Um, in leg sorry, you, you hear, you know, hey, physicians need a larger voice in the legislative process in Washington and Columbus. But it's all, also the case that physicians sometimes enter into this conversation in a different way than public health people do. I mean, on the one hand, there are some fantastic physicians, Dr. Beth Liston, of course, um, you know, who we've had on the show, uh, Dr. Rachel Morocco, who's running for, um, you know, for office this year. Uh, and they are public health minded uh, physicians who aren't just involved in patient care, but also look 
at the epidemiology, look at the broader terrain. I think it's interesting to tease that out a little bit because not everybody who's a healthcare professional necessarily is up for the work of looking at the trends that we need to combat in Ohio that lead to disparity and inequality and things like that. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, those voices are incredibly valuable to have in these conversations. But, you know, you also have other sides to this conversation. Um, You know, I think about uh, one of my colleagues in particular, who I think rounds out some of the the great healthcare experience that we have on, on our caucuses side and on our health committee, you know, thinking even from a patient perspective and a patient advocacy perspective is also an important lens to add to that conversation. But one of the things that I love most about public health, and especially my public health training or anyone who's had public health training is the multidisciplinary aspect to it. Mm -hmm. When you study public health, uh, you're not simply looking at um, number crunching or specific uh, policy analysis. You know, you're really looking at uh, the economics. You are looking at the sociology. uh, You're looking at the clinical aspects. You're looking at the data analysis aspects. Um, so it sets you up, I think, to go into policy issues, uh, because obviously I don't simply work on healthcare policy in the General Assembly, right. but it has set me up to really think about issues in these very broad, multidisciplinary um, terms and, and with that perspective, which I think is uh, makes me a better lawmaker. That's a great segue into a really general question I have, which is, you know, I I mean, I know from my perspective, when I read books on geography or epidemiology, I mean, at its best, that kind of training makes it so that you can never look at these places that you're familiar with in the same way again. You read about a neighborhood's history, for example, and you look at that neighborhood differently. Uh, And when you study health trends, I always talk about I'm in the Grandview area and just 20 minutes south of me, life expectancy changes almost 20 years, depending on, on, you know, exactly which data set you're looking at. Extraordinary, uh, you know, disparity across our state. But I wanted to just start by having you talk a little bit about House District 24. Uh, So what are some of the challenges? What are some of the bright spots you see in in your district um, in the area of health and health promotion? Can you give us a snapshot of the kind of things you hear about from your constituents? Sure. So House District 24, um, we are a little bit unique in uh, mostly because of our proximity to a a large uh, metropolitan area that has been economically fairly successful. I mean, there are certainly in the central Ohio and Columbus region, um, large disparities in income and, and prosperity. But the 24th district, you know, is, is your typical suburban district. We're a bit more affluent um, in the district, you know, although we certainly have some pockets where that is not the case, but have a, a higher median income than most of the state and this district. So when I talk about healthcare and when I hear from my neighbors and my constituents about healthcare, many times it is um, hearing about issues in terms of being able to pay for healthcare and the affordability. Uh, Many of the people in my district, they are well-employed, they're well-insured, they may be business owners or small business owners, 
And so many of the concerns that they are thinking about uh, revolve around increasing cost, in increasing out-of-pocket cost, increasing cost of prescription drugs. How do I continue to provide coverage for my employees with my business because this is such a large expense? So those are the many things that I hear about. Um, I'm also very fortunate in this district. I have a large population of providers and uh, the healthcare industry is a large employer. I'm, I'm close to uh, some of our, our major hospitals in this area, and many of those employees live in my district. Um, so I also get uh, perspective from the, from the providers and what they're dealing with on the front lines. Um, and especially as we're going through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, some of the things that they are experiencing in uh, treating patients and, and treating uh, the larger Central Ohio uh, population as our cases grow, as our hospitalizations grow, and, and of course, as uh, we also experience deaths. You know, I'm really glad to hear, um, you know, a legislator kind of acknowledge affluence. You know, I think that's a really important thing to do. And we've been through this moment of uh, social justice reckoning. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, I live in Grandview, and, and Grandview has a similar history to many of the areas that are in your your district, Upper Arlington, especially, uh, including things like you know racial covenants and exclusionary housing and these kinds of things. I guess I'd just like to ask you, what are you know e- even though you represent a district that you know while there are pockets where um, you know real problems exist, uh, you know economic uh, inequality and you know health disparity. What are the obligations of a legislator? To other districts, so you know you represent your constituents, but also you are elected because people see in you leadership. So, what what can districts like the twenty fourth district do to not just you know address needs provincially within the boundaries, but also within the state, or to to raise issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that the the first obligation that we have and that I have is acknowledgement that the issue exists and acknowledgement that you know part of the affluence that we have is directly related to um, some pretty awful housing policy that existed uh, in decades that preceded us and and frankly you know the remnants of that continue to exist even now. So that's the first piece of it. And I will say, you know, I can speak for many of of my constituents and and what I'm seeing out in the community, uh, like what is happening across the country. There is an awakening to the need to acknowledge that and also to become anti-racist and to say racism exists. And it is a public health crisis. And I I firmly believe that. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I also have many providers in my district. And I think, you know, what I've been pleased to see from some of our large medical centers here is, you know, again, acknowledgement from the institutional level, but also plans for action in how to tackle those issues. And so I think we're seeing that permeate, you know, in many different communities. I mean, uh, you mentioned the Upper Arlington, our city council actually passed a resolution a couple of months ago that I was able to speak to about recognizing 
racism as a public health crisis and yeah. what they were going to do at the city level and as a city government to try to get at that issue. And um, so I think that's important. I think all of those actions matter and uh, accumulate into broader change. Yeah, I have to say, you know, right before COVID-19 really took over in our area, I, I went to an event, uh, I believe it was the Upper Arlington Middle School. I'm not familiar with the schools in, in detail, but uh, Richard Rothstein came to talk about his uh, book, The Color of Law, which is, yes. you know, for yeah. listeners, it's a stunning book about the history of housing policy in the United States. And I was really impressed um, and have been impressed, you know, by that area, um, you know, taking on some of these issues, at least being willing to push past the kind of fragility of, you know, being defensive all the time, but saying like, look, this is our history. Let's wrestle with it. We don't know where that goes. It's going to take a lot of real effort and a willingness um, and also resources to uh, make it stick. But I think that's a real um, good sign, actually. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. So you sit on Numerous committees, but in, in the area that I identify, you know, we, you know, those who understand legislation moving through the state house might not know that sometimes uh, a bill that appears to be a health bill may not go through a committee called health. It's a little complicated for for legislative. Sometimes that's purposely done. <laughs> sure, you're looking for allies, you're looking for um, relationships, right? And and um, but you sit on the aging and long term uh, care committee and the health committee, and I, I just wanted to ask you, uh, you know. Oh, being aware of the fact that, um, you know, after the next election, assuming you are reelected, most likely you will still be in the minority. And that matters from an agenda setting uh, perspective. But nonetheless, what, what are some of the things that you're excited about talking about in the next session? What are some of the things you're talking about with constituents or voters um, that you really want to be behind in your next term? Well, I think, you know, there is so much work to do in this healthcare space. I would say some of the things that immediately jumped to mind, because I also co-chair the Children's Caucus and I also serve on the Joint Medicaid Oversight Committee, which is a joint committee as opposed to a standing committee. But Medicaid is such a huge part of the state budget and is so critically important, which I know you've talked about at length on this show. But, you know, some of the things that I uh, am excited to keep working on and there will be a need for is obviously maintaining the integrity of Ohio's Medicaid program, especially in light of the economic crisis. There is a much greater need for Medicaid. Uh, We know just based on some uh, trends that have been happening since 2016, we've had increases in the number of uninsured children. Uh, So we've spent a lot of time talking about how do we make sure that the Medicaid program functions in a way that we aren't losing adults who in turn often we lose children with those adults as well. I think also thinking about how can we tackle affordability and specifically the affordability of prescription drugs. Um, That's a little bit more difficult to do with state policy, but there are ways that we can start to tackle that issue, particularly through the Medicaid program, which does influence the market, but also looking at some insurance changes that we can do. And then another big space, uh, really two other big spaces that I am excited to work in 
Uh, number one is our aging policy. And we have a rapidly aging population in the state of Ohio. I say it, it's the crisis that we're really not talking about mm -hmm. because the reality is we have underfunded our nursing home and long-term care system. And we've seen that play out in how COVID has disproportionately impacted individuals who live in nursing homes. Obviously, the patient population there is higher risk because of their age. But also, we have not put money into that system and Medicaid is the primary payer for nursing home care. We have huge staffing shortages for those direct care providers. We have lots of turnover. We've had PPE supply issues. So it's really created this perfect storm for COVID-19 to have a very hard impact on those residents. Um, but take away COVID-19, those are big issues that we need to continue to tackle in Ohio because our population is aging. And then lastly, I'll say in the mental health and addiction space, um, I've worked on a couple of, of bills, but most importantly, looking at how do we improve mental health parity in our state. We already have federal law that deals with this, but we don't have good um, uh, adherence to that in the state of Ohio. And so we see that play out in terms of delays and treatment that's needed for uh, behavioral and addiction services, higher out-of-pocket cost as more patients are forced to go out of network, and then also confusion that many providers have in seeking reimbursement uh, for their services. And we also have a provider shortage in that space. So there is a lot to continue <laughs> working on <laughs> so yeah. much, um, but, you know, all very important things that we have to keep our eye on and keep pushing towards change. Yeah. You know, and also I'll mention um, listeners may or may not know, but another thing that could be happening in 2021 uh, is, you know, Texas v. U.S. is a really important Supreme Court case that could overturn the Affordable Care Act in its entirety, depending on how it goes. Uh, oral arguments going to be heard the week after the presidential election. And if that happens, we are going to have upwards of a million Ohioans, you know, who stand to lose their health care coverage that they got through the Affordable Care Act. And that's going to be something that's going to potentially land right back on the state level uh, and the state's going to have to address. It absolutely, it would be devastating. Uh, let's not sugarcoat this. It would be absolutely devastating to upwards of a million people in the state of Ohio, but also devastating to our state budget. Right. And as we're coming, and we're not coming out of, but we're trying to work through a pandemic, we're still struggling. Ohio, you know, our addiction crisis did not go away. Um, it would just be devastating. As I look through the things you've been up to um, on your your uh, legislative website, um, I mean, you you also have a really nice ability to just kind of address singular issues that sometimes people might not really think about. So I'm just kind of interested in two of them. I noticed that you had been speaking out a, a, around um, broadband and connectivity, internet access, uh, grants of some sort. Uh, did you want to maybe give a little snapshot of what that was about as well? Uh, sure. So uh, as part of my work on the Children's Caucus, we've been very active in this General Assembly 
educating, you know, sometimes in this job, it requires a lot of educating of legislators because not all legislators come with expertise or background in many of these policy areas. Um, but one of the things that emerged as children are going back to school. Uh, most children in the state are in some sort of hybrid arrangement for returning to school, or they may be doing full-time virtual or going back and forth, depending on what the community uh, spread is in their area. Uh, what we have identified is, you know, and what we've always known, but what has uh, been exposed even more so during this pandemic is the lack of broadband access in many of our both urban communities as well as our rural communities. And so the state was able to take some CARES Act money and create grants for school districts. And originally the structure of those grants was to ask school districts to, in order to qualify, they had to put forward matching funds mm -hmm. for those grants. And so in talking with many of our advocates in the Children's Caucus, we decided, you know, that was not a good idea because we have many school districts that are struggling financially before this pandemic, but especially during this pandemic as they're, you know, trying to figure out how to get kids and staff back into the classroom safely and all the additional resources they have to expend to do that. And so we were able to, to get rid of and advocate for the removal of that matching funds portion, which was a huge win. And it allowed all school districts, regardless of their financial circumstances, um, to fully apply for those grants and be able to utilize them. And so now those grants can be used to actually bring internet service into homes and create hotspots, which is a, a great thing for many of our students across the state. You know, and there's also a way in which, and I've joked about this on this show in the past, even though maybe it's not a, a, a funny entirely, but, you know, there's almost no policy area that is not also health policy right now. This is one of the legacies right. of COVID. I mean, school policy is, is, is health policy and internet access is a health concern uh, in That's so right. many important ways. And it's something that, I mean, I'm guessing in, this is another one of those areas where in your district and the district I'm in, which is uh, Representative Boggs's district, you know, internet access is not a huge problem, but you go out just a little bit and you start running into um, dead zones um, and kids are, you know, sitting outside of McDonald's trying to zoom into their class and, and things like this, which is really heartbreaking and just not at all where a state that wants to be a leader in these things should be. That's right. And and you're right. Sometimes it can be not very far from many of the areas like where you and I live, where we do have good access. Um, you know, I think in the West Columbus area, if you just drive, you know, two or three miles down the road, um, there are schools that, you know, not all the children do have access to devices or Internet uh, to be able to do their schoolwork at home. So, again, this takes, you know, what are already gaps in, in education, in prosperity, and it just makes them much larger. Well, Representative Allison Rusto, I, I just want to, you know, say it's overwhelming the number of things you're involved in. I mean, it's really, I, you know, I'm sure your head is in a million different places, but it's a real testimony to your focus on the core values that we bring to thinking about health issues, not just this or that policy issue, but like, what are the values that guide us in thinking through any kind of issue? I'll just say, uh, I'm really glad that we have people who, 
you know, have decided to make the move after all of their formal training in this to really bring it to the people of Ohio, because I think we need more of that. So I thank you for that service and um, want to thank you for talking with me on the show. Well, thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to talk with you and a pleasure to serve. My many thanks to Representative Allison Russo for joining me on the show. You can read more about Russo's work in the legislature as well as her campaign by checking out the show notes, which are posted on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the Podcast Experience tab. You can also find this information on our website at prognosisohio.com. Before closing, I just want to put in one more plug for the live event we're going to be holding on Facebook on October 22nd. Please like Prognosis Ohio on Facebook to learn more about the event, which will be held on Facebook from 7 to 8.30 on the 22nd. Some really exciting guests are going to be joining us, so stay tuned for more information on that. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show, follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio, friend us on Facebook, and check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. As always, we encourage you to reach out via email or social media with your suggestions and your feedback. Thanks so much for listening and be well.